0: You know what Hosanna means? It just means, God save us. God save us now. And they're singing Psalm 118. That's where this, this uh, phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, comes from. You know what this psalm's about? Take a step back. It's about God giving victory over his enemies. And yet. We know the whole story, the celebration is going to become a crucifixion, this king is not going to be crowned over all the enemies, at least the enemies they expected. We're being shown the power of unmet expectations, of what disappointment really does. It makes us feel foolish on the one hand, but it really does make us that angry. But Jesus wasn't given a crown, he was given a crown of thorns. And so let's, let's start. Let's, let's look at this passage, and I want to ask all these kind of questions. What do you expect Jesus to do for you, and how do you maintain then the joy of Palm Sunday when God doesn't answer your prayers? This is, this is huge. And I'll, I'll speak to the young people because you might, this is as much preparation for what you will go through as it is for those of us who are right now suffering. Because if you haven't already cried out for help and God not answered, that will happen. God will hear your cry, sure, but it doesn't mean he's going to say yes. So what do you expect Jesus to do for you? Picture the crowd again, all these people crying, Hosanna. (coughs) They're waving palm branches, and palm branches have huge military expectations. I mean, this is almost a a Fourth of July-type parade. Because even in Jewish history, after Jerusalem was liberated 200 years ago by the Maccabees, this conquering king, this conquering hero, Simon, came into the city the same way, with palm branches being waved, and everyone rejoicing that God had sent his conqueror. And so when people are singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it's almost like singing the star-spangled banner and waving the American flag in, in the middle of a war. I mean, it's like it really is the, <laughs> the equivalent of a Jewish Uncle Sam saying, I want you to fight for me. That, that, that's the kind of expectations. I mean, these people are saying, we want Jerusalem, we want Israel to be great again. And so they're singing, God, save us, give us salvation right now. This true king is coming. And everyone expected that this king was going to come and destroy all of God's enemies. They expected him to be crowned king. They expected the blood of the to running in the streets to, to be the Romans. I mean, just it's hard. I know it's a political season, so we can understand it, but it's hard for us to get our mind wrapped around it. Just how excited nationally, these people were. And what Jesus does is instead of climbing on a horse, he climbs on a donkey, which is just like pouring water on their, their, their fire. Because he doesn't give a brave heart speech and cry freedom and charge and attack. You know, the commentators will tell you that when Jesus, the way John tells the story, it's the fact that Jesus got on the donkey, after their hosannas, he's saying, my king, I'm going to be a different king than you expect. It has the effect of dampening down these nationalistic expectations. Right. These, peop- these people, like us, they wanted power to fight for them. And Jesus gives them humility, riding on a donkey. So don't don't miss the picture. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem as their king and my king. He is strong. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all power. He's claiming to be the Messiah, but he's doing it so that he could die. And that, that's how Jesus operates. We expect him to come into our lives with his power to make all these things sad come untrue right now. Hosanna, fix this. God, Please. And instead, he comes into our lives on a donkey. Humbly, patiently, saying, I don't want to work on your circumstances right now. I want to work on your heart. And that's the issue this morning is, will you accept Jesus as your king on his terms or on your own? Whose kingdom do you really want built? Because so much of our hardship in trusting Jesus when our circumstances are difficult are our misplaced expectations of what we think he will do. Right? If, you, if you go to a hotel expecting it to be five stars and for there to be mint in your pillow and you to be served and you know, have all the servants fall down at your feet and you get there and it's filled with roaches, what happens? You get mad. For good reason. That's gross. You don't want to sleep with roaches. <laughs> But if you go and you're expecting something disgusting, and it turns out to be fantastic, <laughs> right, expectations shape how you live your life. Right, and Jesus is saying, let me dampen down your expectations. What, what am I here for? And he climbs on a donkey. It's a parable. It's trying to get you to see that I'm not here to make everything right immediately. I'm here to, to deal with sin. My kingdom is not what you expected. It's first spiritual, not physical. Now, why why did these people get this so wrong? As Jews, as people of the book, as people who knew their scriptures, and part of it is these messianic prophecies. They just didn't understand how to apply them. They knew that God was going to send a king. Genesis 49, for example, verses 10 and 11 tell you it says this king is going to come from judah and he's going he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. he's going to come in power and he <laughs> he's going to bring about the obedience of the nations but he's going to ride a donkey okay. extreme power and humility side by side through that strength he's going to bring peace to the world that was the promise all the way back in genesis And then we read in Zechariah 9 that when this king, God's king, comes into Jerusalem, he's going to ride on a donkey. And you heard it, no more war horses, no more battle bows. It's just a poetic way of saying there's going to be peace. He's bringing salvation. And so the misplaced expectations came from focusing on the one side. These prophecies say, look, there's going to be a king who's coming that has ultimate power. Nations are going to submit. There's going to be no more conflict, no more inconsolable aches and pains. This is the one God's going to use, but he's going to do it riding on a donkey, not on a war horse. And so you've got this power and humility going side by side, coming right at you, walking to the cross. Cause you know what the donkey represents? Supreme confidence that God will do this on his own, in his own time. Jesus believed that so deeply. That's why he died. He trusted that God would raise him from the dead. This is what makes King Jesus so incredible because he's able to hold these two things together that we can't. One, he has power that we do not have, but he also has the humility to let God act on his behalf. All these inconsolable aches, wouldn't you if you had the power Just snap your fingers to make it all go away. I'll give you an example. This is why we need to hear the good news of who this king is that power and humility come together. It's Vincent van Gogh. Because there are Vincent van Gogh type people here right now. And if you were to look at Vincent van Gogh's life, the, the famous painter in his day, he was a failure. in in every definition of the way. He was a pastor's kid who grew up in the church. He was reformed. And yet God continually refused to answer his prayers the way that he had asked them. I mean, One, he was an artist. He tried working in in a place in a studio that was producing commercial art, and he just gave up because he hated it. He hated producing that kind of art. So then he turned to the ministry. He went off to seminary, (laughs) And he found it too difficult, so he quit. He couldn't do the schoolwork. Not being one to give up, he tried a preaching course for normal people, for lay people. to say, you know, maybe I can still minister the gospel, just not in formal ministry. Well, he failed that final, and his teachers declared him unsuitable for ministry. Being stubborn, he then moved to Belgium to try and minister to the poor in a town there. Within three months, he lost his license to preach because he was, just a bad, he was just a bad preacher, a failure. He couldn't minister to the educated or the non-educated. He failed at love as well. He was rejected by this young lady named Eugenia Lawyer after passionately declaring his love for her. She passionately said no. <laughs> he proposed to his widowed distant cousin, a young mother. She shot him down. He eventually moved in with an alcoholic prostitute who was a mother attracted to her because she too was injured by life. and He said nobody cared for her or wanted her because she was alone, forsaken like a worthless rag. But his family said, you, ne- you can't do this. And so they prevented the relationship and it just exploded. He was broke. His brother paid all his bills. His paintings didn't become valuable until after he died. And then of course Van Gogh's famous for his mental breakdown. Where he cut off his own ear after a conflict with a friend, and his life came to an end after an infection from being shot, most likely suicide. I mean, everything about his life was hardship. Uphill the whole way. These are the kind of people that Jesus comes as conquering king, who rides right past all that disappointment. And says, Fear not, here comes your king riding on a donkey. I mean, this is the most difficult thing, I, th- I think, apart from the, uh, understanding ourselves as sinners. is to wonder how God can look at all the world filled with people like Van Gogh and oppressed Israel who need God's power to fix circumstances that are awful. And yet Jesus goes right past the circumstance and says, I want to deal with your heart. Because you know what Jesus is saying when he climbs on the donkey? He's saying, what good is it if I fix what's wrong with your life right now? When you're going to die. When death is coming. What what good is it if I come and fix your circumstances? If you're not going to be able to come through God's righteous judgment because you're guilty. When Jesus climbs on the donkey, he's saying, what good is it if I set you free from your physical misery? If you can't get rid of your own guilt and shame. This is our king who knew what we needed even before we knew to ask and we spend a lot of emotional energy expecting jesus the lion to come in and free us with his power and he comes as a lamb with his humility to take away our sin jesus is both and that's what that's what john's trying to get you to see It wasn't until after the, the resurrection that everyone finally figured it out. That's what John says, right? It's, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, talking about the death and resurrection, then they remembered what was written and what had been done to him and by, by him. Would you see the story of the cross? It's, it's their expectation of strength that actually motivated them to kill Jesus. They didn't get the king they wanted, so they killed him. The powder keg in their heart exploded. That's how serious this thing is. By riding on a donkey, Jesus says, salvation is coming. I'm bringing you liberation, and you should sing and dance and wave your palm leaves because I'm going to set you free from everything wrong that you have ever done or will do. It won't be Roman blood flowing in the streets. It's going to be my blood, the blood of the covenant, poured out for your forgiveness of sins. He's saying, I am powerful. I am the lion, the tribe of Judah, but I'm coming as a lamb to die in your place. I come in weakness to make you strong. This is our true king. And so my question to you this morning and I think what the text is asking you is: What are your expectations? Are you able to sing, and say "Hosanna" when God doesn't answer your prayers, when He an- decides to answer them in His own timing? Recognizing that it doesn't mean He's distant. It means He's actually more concerned about you are, about you than you are. <laughs> I'll pr- prove it to you. This whole thing is supposed to end in joy. This is what Zechariah 9, 16 and 17 says. It's that on that day, talking about when Jesus uh, acts on the cross, on that day when their Lord, their God, will save them as the flock of his people, they're going to be like the jewels of a crown. They shall shine on his land. How great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. The effect of the gospel, of, of seeing Jesus as your king, both lion and lamb, is that you and I are going to flourish. It's going to give us this immense joy because it says God's going to treat you like a crown, like the jewels of a crown, a precious treasure. Saying on that day when God saves us, as he did on the cross, you're going to be treated as God's prized possession. that shines with beauty in the middle of your inconsolable aches. Because you're in his hand. That's what it says, right? Like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine in his land. That parallel passage in Isaiah says that you are that crown in his hand. What an astounding thing. This is why Jesus came. Yeah, he will take away all your sorrows one day when he comes back again, but first so that you might know that you are God's prized possession. Even as death looms. Even as sickness harasses. Let me ask you this. What would happen if God really did cave in and give you what you most want? Van Gogh has a painting called Undergrowth with Two Figures. If if I had a the projector running and working, I'd show it to you. You can Google it later. But it's this... Beautiful pictures of the forest with bright yellows and greens, and it it almost looks like peace is just raining down in straight lines. And in the middle of this serene scene in the forest is a couple walking hand in hand. So perhaps two lovers walking together over the soft yellow and white flowers. It's like Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden in the evening. You know what that is. It's Van Gogh's ache for something he never had. he wanted more than anything else a woman to love him to make much of him and he never got it I mean, what if god really did answer those prayers how would you know how would you know that you really love him for him because of who he is because what if god really did use all his power to fix all the, the misery in your life rather than walk with you humbly and patiently, teaching you, you'd you'd have a placebo. You'd be deceived into believing that this world, you would think this world is a Van Gogh painting. (laughs) That you could have beauty and joy right now, and that's just not how it is. You'd believe the lie that what we need changed most is what's outside of us instead of inside of us. It wouldn't It wouldn't deal with your unmet expectations. Really, what it would do is set you up so that your joy is always dependent on how comfortable you are, not on the person Jesus, your king. You see, Zechariah promised that when God saves us through Christ, that by faith you become his treasured possession. you become his joy and that's true regardless of your circumstances and that you can actually go through the very worst things that this world has to offer and know that God is not punishing you and it's not your fault right that regardless of your circumstances you have this rock solid foundation to stand on that really is holding on to you which is the love of the God your father saying, I will be with you even in this. And that's what gets us to rejoice. You realize God loves me more than I love me because he knows what I need. It's the joy of being under the reign of this true king who knows how to use his power to humbly serve us. Do you see it? There's another scene written by John about joy and suffering. It's in Revelation chapter 7, where there's a multitude of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, an uncountable number of people, like the stars in the sky, and they're clothed in white, holding palm branches, and they're crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, celebrating Jesus. And you know who these people are? They're people who came through the great tribulation. People who suffered immensely, were persecuted, thrown to the lions, uh, suffered tragic early deaths, they tr- suffered loss, everything that we have gone through or will go through, and yet they are there waving their palm branches, rejoicing, because this Jesus is king. And that, that The reason is because is they know that the lamb in the midst of the throne is their shepherd who gave them exactly what they needed his death on a cross and that they know that one day the shepherd will wipe away every tear from their eye. So this is the king you need. It's not the king we expect. It's the king I need. Someone who uses his power to humbly serve. This Jesus has the power to diffuse the powder keg of unmet expectations and he does it with the joy of his salvation. <laughs> You know, I didn't read it, but right after this huge celebration, the world literally goes after him. There are these Gentiles, these non Jews that come and talk to him, and Jesus explains why he came. And he says, <coughs> He says this. If I can find it here. Well, he, he says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You know what fruit bore out of, or grew out of Jesus' death? Is you and me? Jesus is saying, I, I don't want to be alone. I want you with me where I'm at. And so I give my life to bear the seed of this beautiful world that will one day come untrue so that right now you can go through sorrow. Still rejoicing, knowing that that will happen. Because Jesus' resurrection, this is a preview of next week, but Jesus' resurrection is just step one to the end of the plan. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, started just planted the seed of the power that's going to restore everything and make everything sad come untrue. The cosmos are going to be remade. You and I are going to be remade. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to live in a world where we can hug, where we can sing, and we're going to remember just how awful it was, but yet at the same time it's going to feel like a bad dream because what's happening is so good because our king is there. And he's still going to be known as a lamb. So let me ask you this. What kind of king do you expect? What kind of king do you want? one who comes with a sword or a cross, the donkey or the war horse, the one who makes beautiful power or the one who makes beautiful weakness. This is our captain and our king. He's the one who says, fear not, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is a king who doesn't have to bribe your heart to get allegiance because he just gives himself for you. I'll end with Van Gogh here as a running illustration. I mean, his life was a failure, and it's hard to know. I I think he gave up on the church, but I don't think he gave up on Christ. And I'll end with a blurb from one of his sermons. I mean, he's an artist, so he thinks in artistic pictures. He says, I once saw a beautiful picture. It was a landscape in the evening. Far in the distance, you could see on the right these hills, just blue in the evening mist. Above these hills was this glorious sunset, these gray clouds edged with silver and gold and purple. And underneath is this beautiful landscape covered with grass, yellow because it was autumn. And far, far away in the distance is a high mountain. And on the top of this mountain is a city, the New Jerusalem, heaven where God is taking his, his sheep. And it's lit by the glow of the setting sun. And along the road, I see this pilgrim, a staff in his hand. He's been there on his way for a very long time. And he's very tired. And this pilgrim encounters a woman, a figure in black, reminiscent of St. Paul's phrase, in sorrow yet ever joyful. And this angel of God has been stationed there to keep up the spirits of the pilgrims and to answer their questions. And so the pilgrim asks... Does the road wind uphill all the way? And the answer comes back, yes, to the very end. And then he asks another question. Will the day's journey take the whole long day? From morning to night, my friend. And so the pilgrim goes on. In sorrow, yes, but ever joyful. <laughs> you see what he's saying? He's saying it's hard, but the journey's complete. In Christ, you'll get there because of this king. Don't be afraid because your king came for you. And because he came for you, you can grieve. But you can rejoice and you can taste it right now. And that's that's what we're called to hear. Listen to the Hosanna's ring for our lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus. to go right past our expectations and go after our heart. I pray for those of us here who are grieving, who are struggling, who have just a long history of of frustrated prayers, um, who are struggling to sing Hosanna. I pray that you would draw near to them and show them the beauty of a lamb who uses his power to change our heart, to draw us closer to him so that we might be with him in this great city where all things said come untrue. So God, use the cross to shape our expectations of of you, our King. And may we rejoice, knowing that we are your prized possession in all of the cosmos in Christ by faith. Help our unbelief, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to end by singing, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, number 247.